All right, praise the Lord. Well, for the last uh, few weeks here, two weeks prior to today, we've been talking about uh, an excellent spirit. We've been studying the life of Daniel in this new year. I gave you um, the Daniel Challenge. So uh, if you haven't heard the Daniel Challenge yet, go back to last week's teaching. It's on the website, and uh, you can learn a little bit more about that. And I know that Lily Bringle is going to be heading up, putting that Daniel Challenge on our social media pages. So that will be there for you as well. But I want to encourage you to be people of increasing excellence this year. Come up to a new level in all the areas of your life, and that's why we've been studying Daniel, because he was a man of excellence in everything that he did. As a matter of fact, before we go to our master text with these introductory thoughts in mind, be turning, if you will, to Daniel chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I just want to continue these introductory thoughts here and say that I don't always hear like a word from the Lord for each new year. Uh, I think we always kind of feel that this is a new opportunity with each new year to uh, turn over a new leaf or do things better or be more uh, efficient in many areas. Um, But I don't always have like a word from the Lord for us as a church for each new year. But I I do have a couple of things I believe the Lord said to me. And he gave me one word the first time that he spoke to me about this. I just sensed it in my spirit. I didn't hear, hear him with my physical ears, so don't get that confused. I just sensed it in my heart that the Lord had this word for us as a church, expansion. Expansion. And the other morning I was laying in bed sort of in that in-between state between awakeness and sleep, if you know what I mean, that kind of ethereal state where you're just kind of waking up, you're... You're conscious, but you're not quite all awake yet. And it was in that little middle stage that, and I'd never had this happen to me before, where the Lord spoke to me very clearly during that, you know, middle stage between, you know, deep sleep and awakeness and alertness. And I believe the Lord said to me, I want you to believe me for more this year. Now, that was surprising to me that I heard that in my spirit. And man, it was like, if you've ever had that experience where the Lord speaks to your heart, you know when it's God and when it's just your imagination. And I knew it was God because I always believe the Lord for more. I, I, I kind of always am in that mindset of believing the Lord for more. So the fact that he said that to me is like, well, Lord, don't I kind of always believe you for more? But I believe he wants me to step it up in that regard this year. Expand my ability to believe him. Expand my ability and yours to receive from him. Expand our ability to, um, to begin to implement some principles that will bring us up to that new level. And one of the ways to get there is the lessons that we've been learning with Daniel and be people of excellence. I do believe God wants us to be people of excellence this year. See, Daniel was a man of excellence in everything that he did, even his diet, if you remember. In Daniel chapter 1, it talked about he rejected the king's food and said, you know, I'm going to eat the, the clean foods rather than defile myself with these unclean foods. He, and, and the thing that really struck me about that, and we'll get to our master text after this statement right here, so uh, thank you for being patient with me. Now, The thing that strikes me about that is that when Daniel was taken into captivity in Babylon, he wasn't in Israel anymore. 
He could have said to himself, I'm not in Israel anymore. I can do whatever I want. Nobody's going to know or care. I'm in a pagan culture. I can do whatever I want. But Daniel was a man of excellence, a man of very high standards, and a man of impeccable obedience. So that's where I believe God wants us to be. The people of impeccable obedience and people of excellence in everything that we do. So, with those thoughts in mind, stand up with me if you will. Let's read our master text and let's honor the reading of God's word by standing in his presence as this is read. All right, Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, that was the king, one of the kings that Daniel served under. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came to my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. And verse 9, I said, Belshazzar, or Daniel, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. Jump down to verse 19, if you will. All of it's important, all of it's good, but just for sake of time, jump down to verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And here's the key section right here that I wanted to pay attention to. Belshazzar, or Daniel, answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you will. Well, I'm going to focus on that last verse, verse 19, here for a moment. Um, you know, Daniel honored this pagan king. And by the way, I want to say this about Daniel, just another little observation that I had. Sometimes I read passages and I kind of read between the lines. You know, Daniel was in this pagan country, and the new name that was given to him was the name of a pagan god. How would you like that? How would you like that to be your new name? A pagan god. Yet, this king who gave him that name of a pagan god, he honored this king to the extent where he got this interpretation of the dream from God, and it was not good. And he said, oh, king... If only the meaning of the dream applied to your enemies instead of you. See, he was giving great regard and honor to the king. So that's our topic today. We're going to talk about honor today. But before we do that, I just want to give you a, a little bit of clarity on why we're talking about this. A, another reason why we're talking about this. Dan Millman, who's a motivational speaker and you know, self-help kind of guru, makes a statement that I, I really appreciate. He says this, I had always believed that a life of quality, enjoyment, and wisdom were my human birthright, and I would be automatically bestowed upon me as time passed. I never suspected that I would have to 
learn how to live. That there were specific disciplines and ways of seeing the world that I had to master before I could awaken to a simple, happy, and uncomplicated life. I think that's a great statement. And this is why the Word of God is so important, ladies and gentlemen. See, because God wants to teach you and me how to live. And I want also to point out that He has a reward system. Well, what's that reward system look like? Well, if we look at 2 John 8, it says, Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Say full reward with me. Full reward. Now, by using that terminology, full reward, then by implication, we can also ascertain that if there's a full reward, there must also be a partial reward and a no reward scenario. That's why God tells us this, to watch out that you don't lose what you've worked for, but that you may obtain your full reward, not a partial reward, not a no reward scenario. Uh, several weeks ago, I, I, in one of my other teachings, I told you about there's four pastors that I know that when things got tough in their ministries, they just pulled the plug and, and closed down the church. And it had terrible impact on their families. All four pastors, terrible impact on their families. Well, if God calls you to something, you're supposed to stick to it regardless of how tough it gets. You know, because when God calls you to something, he's going to call you to something that you can't do without his help. So you need to be able to stick with him when times get tough and things get challenging. So by pulling the plug and just calling our own shots and writing our own orders when things get tough and going off on some different direction when things get uncomfortable, well, that could result in a partial reward scenario or maybe even a no reward scenario. We want a full reward. And that's part of why we're talking about this today. So I want to give you the definition of honor as it's used in the scriptures. What does honor really mean? Well, that word honor as it's used in the ancient, uh, in the ancient Greek is the word timi. Now, it, in, it looks like it's spelled time, T-I-M-E, but the pronunciation is timi in the Greek. And it means this, to value highly, to show great appreciation, highly esteemed, favorable, respect, and high regard. Now, in the Hebrew, so again, the, your Bibles are Hebrew and Greek. The Old Testament's Hebrew. Your New Testament's Greek. Okay, so in the Hebrew, the word is kalbed. And kalbed means this, to glorify, to promote, to boast, abounding with, to lay heavily, and to make weighty. Those last three definitions don't seem to fit with the first three. So let's read them again. To glorify, to promote, to boast... And then abounding with, to lay heavily and to make weighty. Well, how do we make sense of that? Well, I believe that when God says to honor someone or something and to honor him, it needs to be done with, with such enthusiasm, with such passion, that it needs to be literally abounding. And to the degree where it's almost like laying heavily something um, um, to make weighty. It almost reminds me, the, the visual imagery that I have is uh, laying concrete. 
You know, wet concrete's very heavy and it's very weighty, but it's also abounding. I saw this funny video where um, this car pulled right out in front of a, a, a cement mixer truck. And that cement mixer had to slam on its brakes and it barely missed the car. But all that wet cement went straight out the front of that truck and, and, and covered the car. Um, so that car was abounding with wet cement. And that wet cement was laying heavily upon that car and was made weighty. So that's kind of a visual imagery that I have of this second half of the definition of call bait to make weighty, to honor something with, with such abounding honor that it's something weighty, if that makes sense. Now, let me address something here. You know, our culture knows very little about honor these days. And as a matter of fact, people in the Western church know very little about honor. This is something very, very important to God. As a matter of fact, that's why we have this banner up behind me, because I want you to be constantly reminded that 1 Samuel 2.30 says, those who honor me, I will honor. And some people in the modern day church today say, well, I honor God, but I just, I don't honor any person. Well, folks, you can't really honor God without honoring the people and the things that he says to honor. Now, let me make this make sense to you. You parents, you love your children, and you have a mama bear reaction to people that don't honor your children. Okay? Can you say amen to that? So, so here, here's how this looks. There may be people in your life that honor you and treat you great, but as soon as they dishonor your children... All of a sudden, your attitude towards them changes, even though they're very sweet to you. But as soon as they say something about your children or they, they do something to dishonor your children, all of a sudden, the hair on the back of your neck starts to stand up and you get a very negative reaction toward that person. And so that's what I'm talking about. That person can't really honor you unless they're honoring your children. Does that make sense? So you, you can't honor God without honoring the people and the things that God says to honor. He says, you want to honor me? Okay, here's how to do it. Honor the things and the people that I say to honor. See, if you refuse to subordinate yourself before people, you're not really honoring God and you cannot bear much fruit like that. So I want to give you in this teaching some specifics in, in terms of what the Bible says to honor and who to honor. And we're going to begin with honoring public officials. Because once again, in this culture today, there's this trend where hatred toward police officers and judges and people in authority are concerned. I'm going to tell you, that's unbiblical. Okay? That's unbiblical. So let's read out of Romans 13, verses 3 through 7 for a moment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will have his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not carry the sword in vain. He is God's servant, an agent of retribution to the wrongdoer. 
Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authority, not only to avoid punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who devote themselves to their work. Revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. That's God's position on that, honoring public officials. But I want to focus in here on verse 6, where it says that our civil authorities are God's servants. God's servants. See, if you back up to verse 1, we didn't read the entire section there. If you, if you back up to verse 1, it says that all authorities are appointed by God. They're appointed by God. That means that a judicial system and law enforcement are God's ideas. They're God's ideas. Now, let me qualify this. We may not always agree with how public officials are doing their jobs, or how government is conducted. But nevertheless, it is our responsibility to honor those public officials, like police officers and judges, because God calls them his servants. So since God has appointed all authority, we dishonor that authority behind them, meaning God, when we dishonor those public officials. Now, let me say a brief word about this just to give some uh, clarity. What about civil disobedience then? Okay, well, that's a good question because there are times to, to not obey the laws of the land. If the laws of the land ever require you to disobey God, then it's our obligation to exercise that civil disobedience and to honor God over men. So I just want to make that clarification, make sure we're clear on that. Um, you don't honor any law that causes you to dishonor God. Okay? So I just want to make that clarification. And, you know, I, I'm the first to acknowledge here that we have a government that's off track big time these days. So uh, there's people in the Senate and the House of Representatives that I think they're better off digging ditches or something than they are in those offices. I really do. I mean, I think, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, but... Although I don't really have a respect for some of the, the things that they're voting for, I still have respect for the office. Does that make sense? There's some police officers. Now, I know that you, what I'm about to say, you can't hardly believe that this is true about me, but a few times I've been stopped for speeding. There's, there have been some police officers that have been really nice and, you know, really just very nice guys. And some have been jerks. Well, the ones that just went out of their way to be unkind and to be disrespectful, I didn't appreciate that too much, but I, I still respected that individual. Well, for two reasons. Number one, because he could make life really hard on me if I didn't. But number two, because I respect the office. I respect the office of police officer. I respect the office of judge. Uh, I respect the office of even some of our political offices, even though in the case of our political positions in the, in the Senate and Congress, and set, et cetera. Those people are supposed to be public servants. They serve us and answer to us. That's not, you know, that's not really how they serve these days. And so, anyway, I don't have time to get off on that right now. That's not my, really my teaching or my point. My point is, we need to have respect for the office, even if the person holding that office is doing the job shoddily. Is this making sense so far? Yes. 
Okay, so on that note, the same would be true also for marketplace leaders. Honor the, the position, not necessarily, well, I mean, the, the person that's holding that position may not be an honorable person, but you honor them anyway because of the position that they hold. Uh, in 1 Timothy 6.1, it says, let all who are under a yoke as slaves, and in today's culture, you could say employees there, regard their own masters or bosses as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Now, I want to give you just a little bit of, especially for some of you younger people, I want to give you a little bit of just guidance for you. You know, younger people, maybe you haven't been taught this, but I would strongly encourage you in the marketplace and also in the church and with all the elders that you meet to use the respectful term, sir and ma'am. And I know that that's really not taught, and a lot of times you don't feel it's necessary, but I would strongly urge you to call your elders by their last name, Mr. or Mrs., so-and-so, and also use sir or ma'am. Why? Because it's an exercise of showing respect to that individual. And you're acknowledging, I'm younger and less experienced and less knowledgeable than you, so I'm showing you honor as someone who's more experienced and more knowledgeable than I am. And I'm acknowledging that. And some people may even say, well, you don't have to call me sir, or you, know, you don't have to call me mister, you can call me by my first name. Okay, well, if, they, if that's what they prefer, then fine. But you should lead off, mister or missus, sir or ma'am, because it's, a, it's an acknowledgement of your respect for that individual, young people. And if you're on a job interview, by the way, and you use those, you'll stand out. You'll stand out uh, among people that don't use those terminologies. It's like, wow, that's a very respectful young man. That's a very respectful young woman. And also, just again, just a little bit of, of life lessons here for you. And I, I'm telling you, you young people are not the only ones that do this. I meet a lot of older people these days who need the advice I'm going to give you right now. Look people in the eye, engage them face-to-face, -face, and smile. Okay? There's something about a smile. I don't care if you're embarrassed about your smile, if you're missing your front, front tooth or something. You know, nobody cares about that. What they care about is that, it, that they want to feel warmed and welcomed by you. They don't, don't really care about your appearance. You might care about your appearance. They don't care so much. People want to be, uh, they want to know that they're warmed and welcomed by you. So I'll just give you an example. So there's this older gentleman in our neighborhood and when you get to talking to him, you get to know him, he's like one of the nicest guys I've ever met. But he, he walks, on the, for his exercise, he chooses to walk on the, on the road that we live on. And if I'm leaving my neighborhood and he's coming the other direction and we meet each other face to face while he's walking and I'm driving out of the neighborhood, um, here's, I'll wave at him and smile like this and here's how he responds. Like, like this. I mean, just no expression, no smile know nothing. And if I didn't know him, I would, I would think to myself, what an unfriendly person. Why can't, why can't he just give me a smile for goodness sake? But if you get to know him, he's a wonderfully nice guy. But that, but that see what I'm saying? That first impression that you make with people, and it's almost like, gosh, is he mad at me or something? Did I do something wrong? Um, and that's the impression that he leaves when you wave at him. Because no smile, no expression, no nothing. Uh, people need to be, they need to know that you care about them. And a smile communicates that. 
okay? Looking people in the eye communicates that. Okay, so that's a little bit of just practical life lessons for you. Let me give you a little bit more scripture here on honoring marketplace leaders. Uh, Titus 2, verses 9 and 10 says, Teach slaves, or once again, in, in our day and age, employees, to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. See, the way that you perform your job, on the job, can make or break your witness. Did you know that? Don't cut corners. Be excellent at everything you do. Represent the Lord well on the job to make the teaching of the Lord attractive. So people say, man, that's a hard worker. What's different about her? What's different about him? I, I need to get to know that person a little bit more. Now understand, what, what makes them tick? Why, why are they such hard workers? And, I, and everybody else that works for me cuts corners. You need to stand out. Praise God. Okay, one more scripture on this point, and then we'll move on. Uh, Proverbs 27, 18. He who tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who looks after his master will be honored. Okay, if you look after the interests of your boss, your employer, then you will be honored and rewarded when you do so. Now, let me just give you, once again, a little bit of instruction on this. When I was a young man, um, I worked for UPS for a number of years, and it's during the years that I worked for UPS that I really got serious about serving the Lord and turned my life over to, to His direction. And, you know, because of that environment there, and uh, people's hard labor didn't always get rewarded. Uh, as a matter of fact, sometimes the opposite happened. When I first went to w work for UPS, I was 20 years old, strong, energetic, and uh, they, they saw this, you know, fit young man that I was back then, and they said, well, I mean, we're, we're going to put him up in the trailer because, you know, he can handle that job. And I was pushing all the packages out on the conveyor, and for all the preloaders to load the UPS trucks. Now, what they didn't tell me was this was usually a two-man job. But they put me up in there, and man, I was huffing it. And I would go home exhausted. And I remember one day, on my first day on the job, I came home, and I was just so tired. I made myself a warm bath and laid in the bathtub and literally fell asleep in the bathtub. I was so tired. So I did that for weeks. And then one day, there was a lot of smaller packages rather than these big ones. You know, the more smaller packages you have, the harder you have to work to keep those things flowing. So uh, I was working super hard that day because of the, all the different smaller packages. And so I got really behind. And so I was being screamed at by the manager, hurry up, hurry up, keep up. And then one of the people out on the belt when the manager was away said to me, hey, Andy, if you slow down even more and let this thing back up even more, they'll pull you out of that trailer tomorrow and put you on the preload making a dollar more an hour. And now that was before I had the kind of standards, work standards I do. Now I didn't have you know, those scriptures guiding me at that point. So I said, okay. <laughs> and I did. And they pulled me out of there, put me on the preload the next day, making a dollar more an hour and put two people up in the trailer to replace me. Now, 
What I began to learn, though, as I began serving the Lord, is that even if my employer didn't honor me and reward me for a hard day's work and for an excellent work ethic, God would reward me. Okay? So uh, that's what's happened throughout the course of my life. So, and that will happen with you as well. Even if your employer doesn't reward you for a hard day's work and for a high standard of, of excellence in your work ethic, God sees it. And he will reward you in time, even if he has to move you out of that place. Okay? So keep that in mind. It's, a, it's, it's faith. Don't say to yourself, well, nobody else is working like this. And, and people get rewarded for, for not working as hard. So why should I? No. See, you're of a different world. Okay? We're not of this world. We have different standards. So you honor God and God will honor you. Praise God. Now, I'm going to give you one more uh, here regarding honoring leadership. And this next one is one that I, w- I always feel a little bit uncomfortable talking about because it seems so self-serving to do so. But one of the things I've learned, folks, through my years as a pastor and a leader is that I would not be a good leader or a humble leader if I swept certain parts of the Word of God under the rug for fear of what you think of me for bringing it to your attention. And some leaders do that. Well, I can't bring that up because what will they think of me if I do that? Well, that's not, that's not humility. It's actually pride. What will you think of me? Okay, so I'm not going to do that today. Um, I'm just going to put it out there because I want to give you the, the full counsel of God uh, to the best of my ability. Uh, so I ask you to be patient with me and ask you to be, to be forgiving if this next point seems self-serving. But I just want to give you the word of God. And that's where honoring spiritual authority is concerned. So let me just read the word of God to you and let it speak for itself. Hebrews 13, 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over your souls as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. What's that mean? That means... If I'm doing my job in such a way as it's a burden to me, then that's not a benefit to you. My, my job needs to be done in such a way that it's a joy to serve you rather than a burden because if it's the reverse, you get no benefit out of that. Now, let me be very quick to point out that I do not feel um, dishonored by anybody in this church, quite the opposite. In fact, you all treat Don and myself probably way better than we really deserve. Um, you know... And, well, let me qualify that because, you know, spiritual leaders are people too. You know, we're imperfect. You know, we're temperamental at times. We let our emotions show more than we should sometimes. And sometimes that's just simply because we're under pressure. And we're imperfect in learning how to deal with that pressure. See, if you took the time to do so, you could point out a lot of faults with Donna and myself. And you would probably be accurate in your assessment. But that's kind of beside the point where this passage here is concerned. See, not that we should yield to apostate heretical teachings. Uh, On some issues, we do have to draw a line, right? But that's not what this verse is talking about. What this is talking about is godly leaders who indeed have frailties, as we all do, but who nevertheless labor to watch over you faithfully. 
And notice what it says at the end here on this passage. It says that spiritual leaders will have to give an account to God for how we lead. See, we bear a heavy load most of the time for that reason. So I want to just say something really clear and pointed to you this morning. You don't have to sit in judgment over spiritual leaders because God is already doing that. See, James 3.1 says that those who teach will be judged with a stricter judgment. Those who teach will be judged with a stricter judgment. God's doing the judging. You don't have to. He knows how to get his leaders in line and to replace them if they need to be replaced and to exalt others if that's what needs to happen. See, it's a fearful thing, folks, to take up the mantle of a pastor or a leader And this is why it says this in this verse, by the way, because God wants your spiritual leadership to be supported so they can support you excellently. Does that make sense? And by the way, it's for that reason that you all really need to be praying for your leaders. You know, it's my job and Donna's to watch over you, to minister the word of God to you effectively and, and with integrity. And it's your job to listen and respond and obey and pray for your leaders so that we don't get off into heresy and some apostate teaching or we don't fall morally like so many pastors do from time to time. It's your job to... I mean, and I hope you're doing that. I hope you're praying for your leaders, not just Donna and myself, but all the elders here. You know, this society as a whole is woefully ignorant of honor. And that seems to be especially true where spiritual leadership is concerned. Back in the day, um, people were ashamed to, to say a profanity around clergy. And if they happened to utter something by accident, they would go, oh, I'm sorry. And they would be very apologetic if a, a clergy was in the hearing of something like that. Today, I mean, they rip off anything and they don't care. Even if they're, they're I mean, I've had that ha- have it happen. You know, you're, somebody finds out you're a clergy and that... Sometimes they get even more bold in what they say. So those days are kind of gone, uh, where clergy holds this upper level of honor in society. Well, that's not true now. It's not even true in the church a lot of the times. And just by the way, just FYI, I didn't plan on sharing this with you, but I, I identify so well because of that trend in our society these days. I identify so well with what the Apostle Paul said about himself and the other apostles during his day. He said, it's like God has us at the end of the line. We're like scum of the earth. Did you know he said that? It's like people just you know, trampled him trampled his calling, trampled his teaching. It's like God has placed us at the end of the line and we're like scum of the earth. I can identify with that, not because of you all, but people that have come and gone and other ways that clergy are treated these days. I definitely identify with the Apostle Paul on that note, but I, I am thankful for you all because, you, like I said, you all treated Donna and I better than we really deserve. But all this that I've said so far begs the question then, well, okay, then what about unfair or harsh bosses or leaders? Okay, let's find out what the Word of God says about that. So honoring harsh, fair, uh, I should say honoring harsh, unfair, or cruel leaders is what Daniel did 
with all the pagan kings that he served under. And he served under several of them. They were all pagans. They were all murderous, perverse pagans. Daniel knew that, but he honored all of them. So I want to bring this to your attention. Serving well under harsh leadership is a test. It's a test. Why do I say that? Well, let me remind you of a familiar passage you probably already know. James 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, there it is, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And allow perseverance to finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What's this second statement in verse 4? What's that mean? Allow perseverance to finish its work. Do you know that you can take the position where you do not allow perseverance to finish its work? How's that done? When things get difficult, you decide to uproot and take off and find greener pastures. And that's why I've seen people in the marketplace, you know, they have a job for two, three, four years and either get bored or things get tough for them and they decide to bail out and they just make a lateral move to another job and then things get tough there in three or four years and they bail out on that one too and they make another lateral move and they never rise in the marketplace. They never rise in business because they don't put roots down anywhere because they, they cut and run every time something gets tough. And people do that in marriages and people do that in the church. Oh my goodness, I've seen it in the church over and over and over and over again. God plants someone somewhere where he knows they'll grow. God plants them in that garden where he knows that they will flourish. And then, like God does, he applies fertilizer. <laughs> and fertilizer for you farmers who know what, where I'm going with this, fertilizer is often manure. It's stinky. It's yucky. And you don't like it. And God will allow you in your marketplace work, in your marriage, and in your church setting to be faced with situations where he applies some fertilizer and all of a sudden, what was once nice and comfy and smelled like roses, now smells like a pile of manure. And you have to learn, oh, this is the fertilizer that I need to grow. This is the resistance, the testing that I need to grow. I, I'm... Man, we, we have to abandon this American mindset that everything is going to be comfy all the time. That my highest priority is to be comfortable all the time. That is a very misguided American mindset. Because in order to grow, you're going to have to, to come up against some resistance sometimes. You know, I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, everyone thinks that forgiveness is a great idea until you have something to forgive. Right? Because once you're just talking about forgiveness, oh, yeah, that sounds so wonderful. We all need to just forgive one another and love one another. And then you make each other mad. It's like, you know, I want to I leave that place because somebody offended me. Or I want to go find a different spouse because 
he made me so mad or she makes me so mad. Or I want to find a different boss because he's such a jerk. But God may want you in that very place in order to apply the fertilizer so you can experience some growth. Some of you are really loving this teaching, I know. But it's for your good. If you'll, if you'll get this and you'll do it and you'll practice it, you'll grow. But if you keep cutting and running every time something gets tough, you'll never grow. You know, if you uproot a plant and you replant it someplace else, there's a time where that plant goes kind of dormant for a while and doesn't grow for a time until it starts to lay down roots again. If you pull it up again and remove it again, Every time you do that, if you do it several times, the plant will die. So God wants us to learn to be people that don't operate our lives with an escapist mentality. Amen. Here's this word harsh in the Greek. It's the word scolios. And it means crooked, perverse, wicked, unfair, or unreasonable. I'm going to give you a passage here in a second that, that indicates that we should be submitting ourselves in certain situations to leaders who are crooked, perverse, wicked, unfair, or unreasonable. Because it's a test, just like we saw in James chapter 1, it's a test. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. So allow perseverance to finish its work so that the end result is that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So if we pass that test, then we get a reward. But if we fail, we suffer loss and just have to take a retest someplace else. You know, that's why people, sometimes they're married two, three, four times because they never learned their lesson. And so they, they fail one test with one spouse. They get in the next marriage. They face a whole new set of challenges. And then that marriage dissolves and they move on to another one and they never learn their lesson. So they have to take a retest. Likewise with jobs, likewise with churches. That's why people, I, I know people, they've been to, they've been to every church, like, I mean, if they're like more of the charismatic, leaning type of persuasion, they've been to every Assembly of God charismatic church in town. And they, they burned through 10 different relationships with the pastors, and now, now they're here. And man, once I get to know people's history, and I, they've been to like every Every charismatic church, every non-denominational church in town, and now they're here, I'm like, oh my goodness. How long is this going to last? Probably not very long. It's probably not going to end well. And I, I'm, I'm going to be the next person on their hit list that they talk about out in the community. See, the American mindset is this. You'll have to earn my respect before I submit to you. But the biblical mindset is, I recognize the authority on you comes from God, therefore you already have my respect. So why then would God want us to submit to crooked, perverse, wicked, unfair, or unreasonable people? Well, here's a passage. 1 Peter 3, 9 says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a what? Blessing. A blessing. That's what we're after, to inherit a blessing. So how do we get that? Let's reread it. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. 
So a few examples in the Bible of men who honored evil and perverse rulers because of their regard for God were, of course, Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar and every other pagan king he served under, David with King Saul, who was a madman, and the early church with King Herod. Now, let me make this point to you. Get this point right here. When you're mistreated, especially by someone in authority, it's time to get really excited because God's setting you up for a reward. If, if you respond appropriately. If you respond appropriately. If you don't, it's not the end of the world. You just get to take a retest later with someone else. That's what I love about God's system. You never ultimately fail a test. As long as you're breathing, you get to take a retest at another time. Praise God. And by the way, if I could get a, just a little personal here with you for a moment, just to make a point. This is one of the reasons why I believe that God has blessed me in business. Because, it, let me just say, I'm, for some of you that are new, I, I, uh, I'm bivocational. I, uh, I, I like to affectionately say that I'm a functional medicine consultant during the week to pay for my preaching habit on the weekends. But I've, I've been a pastor 14 years, but I've been in the business world 30 years in the same job under the same boss for 30 years. You know how rare that is? You almost never see that anymore. Now, it's for two reasons. Number one, because God really has blessed me with a great boss. Um, but number two, I, I didn't cut and run every time something got difficult and he and I didn't see something eye to eye. And we've had those times where we didn't see things eye to eye sometimes and numerous times. He's made me fume and mad. But I didn't just cut and run and say, I'm going to go find someplace else to work. As a matter of fact, I've had some pretty attractive looking job offers from other companies who would like to have someone with my experience. But I rejected that because it wasn't them who invested in me. It was my boss. He's the one that invested in me. He's the one that did all the training. He's the one that, that spent the money and the time and the effort to invest in me to get to, me to where I am right now. So it's him that I'm investing myself in out of regard for God. And as a result, I put down roots in that place of business, and I've grown, and God has blessed me in that place. Amen. Praise God. Now, listen, I'm not saying that there's never a time to leave a job at some point. Sometimes there is. Sometimes there's better opportunities that God may say yes to. Uh, sometimes there's just horrible things going on that God says, okay, now, now it's time to leave, but you have to be led by the Spirit on those things and not just be led by your emotions all the time. Come on, folks. We're Christians. We're not supposed to be led by our emotions. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit of God and by His Word. Okay? I'm telling you, listen to me. If you let your emotions lead you, they're going to slap you around from now until doomsday. Do not let your emotions lead you. Let the word of God and his spirit lead you. And you'll avoid stepping on a lot of landmines if you don't let your emotions lead you. Praise God. Now, we also need to take into consideration that the Bible also has a lot to say about honor in the home. That's not really my focus today because that's not part of our reading in Daniel. But I do want to say this, that, you know, we also need to be cognizant of the fact that, that the Bible does have quite a bit to say about children honoring their parents. In Ephesians 6, chapters, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, children, honor your parents because this is right. 
Honor your father and mother. So actually, sorry, I misquoted it. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother uh, so that all may go well with you and you may live a long life upon the earth. There's a great promise to honoring your parents. Okay, so I just want to make that point. And also in uh, uh, honoring one another, husbands and wives, honor one another, right? Um, read 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, husbands and wives, and also all of Ephesians 5. If you want a little bit of uh, direction on that. That's not my focus this morning. We're not going to go there, but I want to encourage you. And actually, if you go back in the archives on the website on our teachings, if you go back to uh, 2021, the spring of 2021 in May of that year, I did a teaching called The Untouchables, uh, things that you're not supposed to talk about in church. One of those teachings was honor in the home, where I talk about gender roles between the husband and the wife. Things you're not supposed to talk about in church, things are not considered politically correct these days. It's not politically correct to talk about gender roles because gender is fluid. No, it's not. A man is a man and a woman is a woman. All right? You got one set of chromosomes, not a mixture of a bunch of them. Okay? Where did all the intelligence go? <laughs> but gender roles and, uh, you know, honor in the home, uh, we're not going to talk about that at length today because that's not one of the discussion points in the book of Daniel. So we won't cover that, but I do want to encourage you to uh, pay attention to those areas as well. Uh, one area that I will mention briefly, though, that's not in our reading that I want to close on that's not in the book of Daniel, is this one right here, because I have a big priority about this in our church, is honoring the elderly. Um, so Leviticus 19.23 says, Rise in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God. I am the Lord. Now, I've taught you this before. We're always going to circle back around to this once in a while. What does it mean, what did God mean by ending this statement by saying, I am the Lord? He means, I'm God and you're not. And I'm very serious about this, so do it. That's what he's saying. I'm God, you're not. I'm very serious about this, obey me. And he's saying to us, rise in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. Young people especially. I know you haven't been taught this principle too much, but you're learning it here. Respect the elderly. Treat the elderly with honor. Don't treat them as some discarded member of society that you don't have time for. Honor the elderly. You know, everything in the kingdom of God, I'm coming quickly to a close here, but I want to say this. Everything in the kingdom of God is all about sowing and reaping. What you sow, you're going to reap. Let me say that again. What you sow, you're going to reap. Be not deceived, the Bible tells us. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So how do you want people to treat you when you're older? That's how you need to be treating the elderly right now. All right? All right. This is my last slide, my last thought. In conclusion, it's this statement right here by Andrew Murray that I think is really a nice uh, bullet point statement on how we honor God. And Andrew Murray said, Humility before God 
is best demonstrated in humility before people. Humility before God is best demonstrated in humility before people. Amen. So, lastly then, I want to refer once again to the banner behind me, uh, 1 Samuel 2.30. Those who honor me, I will honor. And the back half of that passage is, but those who despise me will be disdained. Now, I looked up that word despised, and it actually means to lightly esteem or to um, think less of. It has the picture of um, God not really taking care of you as well as he takes care of somebody else who lives by these principles of honor. Not that God has anything against you. He, He wants you to come under the umbrella of his blessings. But if you decide to do things your own way and come out from under that umbrella of blessings, well, you're on your own. So think of, think of the blessings of God and your obedience to it as an umbrella. Uh, the blessings of God and the favor of God and his protection and blessings as an umbrella. And all this curse is out in the world. The rain is the curse in the world. There's a curse in the world, right? There's lots of curses in the world. But you're under the umbrella of God's blessing and protection. As, you, as long as you obey him, you're right underneath that blessing, that umbrella blessing and protection. But as long as you decide to do things your own way, you step out from underneath that umbrella, now you're on your own. And you're exposed to all the curse that's already in the world. God doesn't have to curse you. All you got to do is just not follow him, not obey him, and you're exposed to the curse. And God wants us to walk in blessing, walk in fruitfulness, walk in progress. He wants you to progress in every area of your life, in every area of your life, socially, in your family, um, monetarily, yes, in your health, in your emotions, um, you know, every area. There's not a single area that God doesn't want to touch and have access to so that you can be blessed for his glory. Right? Okay, this just came to me. I just want to say this, and then we're going to pray. And Donna, you can go ahead and come up and play something here in a second. Um. You know, there's this idea in the church today that God doesn't care whether you progress or not, whether you're blessed or not. And I just want to tell you, that's a religious mindset that's not biblical. Because let me tell you something. The Bible is very clear, very clear, that when you do well in society, in your job, etc., you have more influence. Read Proverbs. Proverbs very clearly tells us that there's a, it says that there's a wise man who saved a city because of his wisdom, but because he was poor, he was not remembered nor, nor honored for what he did for that city. But yet, those who have the riches have the influence. So it'd be great if we could be people of wisdom and influence, and God wants us to come up to a new level this year of excellence, of raising the bar in every area of your life so that you do better in every area of your life so that you have more influence. Remember the prayer of Jabez? He said, bless me, Lord, and cause me to be a blessing and enlarge my territory. You remember him saying that? And, and what did it say? How did it say that God responded to that prayer? No, Jabez, now listen. 
that's not a very good prayer. You need to pray for less, not more. Well, what did it say? It, it said that the prayer of Jabez, God granted his request. It was a good request. Why was it a good request? Because the more your, your, your territory is enlarged, the more influence that you have, the more impact that you can make on the kingdom. And that's what he's after. Stand and pray with me, please. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.